0: Hey everyone and welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies and more. I'm your host Max Bowen. We're opening with author Joni Sensel, talking about her book Feeling Fate, a memoir of love, intuition and spirit. From nearly the start of their romance, Joni knew she would lose the man she loved after experiencing a dark premonition. Though she kept this secret, upon his death she was compelled to share it in her memoir. In this interview, we talk about what she experienced, how she knew it was real, sharing the story with her family, and what she's chosen to include in the book. And this time, we are talking authors. I am joined by author Joni Sensel for her new book, Feeling Fate, A Memoir of Love, Intuition, and Spirit, available through She Writes Press. And welcome to the show. It's so cool to have you here.
1: Thanks very much, Max. I appreciate it, and it's nice to talk to you.
0: Likewise, likewise. So, this book, uh, it details the death of the of the man whose love basically changed your life. And I'm really sorry about that. Very, very sorry about that. The thing is, though, you had a premonition that basically warned you that this was going to happen. Um, could we begin with what the premonition was and how how are you sure that it was going to happen?
1: Uh, we can begin there. It was our the second weekend that we had spent together as a couple, as it were. Um, we were in Hawaii for a couple of days. And one evening, uh, just as we were sort of drifting off to sleep, I was thinking about this amazing relationship that had happened to me relatively late in life, and just feeling so lucky. And I had the sense of a voice saying to me, you can have this, but you will lose him. And partly because it came in that second person. It wasn't me thinking I could have this or I'm so lucky. It was the second person voice kind of in my head. It really struck me, and I I started sort of silently crying there in bed because I was so appreciative of what I had, and that voice felt like what it was telling me was that it was sort of the universe making me a deal. I could have this joy, but I needed to be prepared to give it up. And I was willing to take that deal, but, but it did make me cry. <laughs> so that was the premonition that I had. I spent the next about three and a half years struggling with myself, always feeling this thing kind of in the back of my head and the pressure of time. And as I mentioned in the book, there were often times where I just sort of thought to myself, time needs to slow down. This is going too fast because I know it's going to end. And at the same time, you know, the very rational and scientific part of me was like, you're being silly. Stop worrying about something that there is no reason to believe is going to happen. Enjoy the moment and and stop being a kooky person who believes in things like (laughs) premonitions. Um, And so I was sort of caught in that dilemma but the one thing that it did do is make me really really appreciate every moment that we had together and so no i was shocked when tony died very young and unexpectedly young by my standards anyway at 59 um but i wasn't altogether surprised because i did feel like i'd been warned
0: did you tell him about this premonition
1: i did not i tried to tell him one evening Um, and started to talk about it, but I had so much trouble even getting it out, Uh, you know, trying to come up with the words that would, A, make me not sound like a crazy person, and B, come off wrong, like I expected him to drop dead at any minute, um, that I got kind of partway there, and we ended up sort of just soothing each other, and then moving on from there, and I decided that it probably wasn't worth potentially upsetting him and trying to find the appropriate words to explain this sort of thing. And then I decided that, well, I would just keep it to myself and continue trying to tell myself that I was enough for even believing it. So why would I share it with him anyway?
0: And I think that that would probably be the default response. It's not like this thing said, okay, on this date, in this way, in this place, it's going to happen. It was just a a feeling, really, that it, right. that it was going to happen. Tell me about premonitions. I mean, like, is this the, ti- the the first time you've had one? Is this something you have some experience with?
1: You know, this is really the first time I had a premonition like this. But I have had a number of experiences in my life that seemed like either glimpses through to a reality that's a little bit beyond what we normally consider reality or that were in other ways the sort of experience that people call a spiritual epiphany or, or woo-woo experiences, if you will. And they started relatively early in my life. Um, I lost a sister when I was very young as a toddler, and I think that that might have been a factor in my openness to experiences like that. And I had several a couple of which I kind of lay out in detail in the book, where I felt like I was being given information that I wouldn't normally have access to, so those experiences I guess laid the ground for me to to have more belief in this premonition than I probably otherwise would have.
0: How do you know if it's a if it's a like a real premonition, not just a bad dream that kind of that kind of sticks with you?
1: I don't think you do I mean. I do think that a lot of people will sort of say they have dreams, and then they have dreams, kind of capital D dreams, that feel in some way more significant or more important or connected to something else. And I guess all I can say is that, to me, this felt like the same sort of thing. This didn't feel like a random thought that crossed through my mind. It felt... Important and meaningful, and like it was coming from somewhere outside of myself. But I actually think that that's one of the challenges with what I will continue to call woo woo experiences is that even after sometimes they demonstrate themselves to be valid, whether it's a parent who has a sudden intuition that there's a problem with a child, or someone who knows across the country that it A loved one has died before they actually get the phone call about it. I think part of the challenge is that our society is structured to make us sort of dismiss that kind of information. And there's quite a bit of discouragement from talking about those sorts of experiences. So a lot of us um, are maybe even more likely to dismiss them than we should be.
0: Why do people dismiss them?
1: Gosh, I think there are a couple of the reasons. Uh, The first one being something you sort of alluded to already, which is that we all get thoughts in our head that we kind of go, oh, no, is that a bad premonition? And then nothing happens. So obviously, they can be wrong, right? Or they can just be random thoughts. Um, I I have once had an experience that sort of felt premonition-y to me that didn't come true. So I certainly know that, you know, maybe odds are most of them don't come true. We only can know after the fact. But I think a lot of it also is that, you know, in the last couple of hundred years, since really the rise of the defined sciences that we have, Western society in particular has been pretty materialistic. And it's sort of like, if you cannot measure it in a laboratory, the temptation is to not believe that it exists at all. Even though there are plenty of everyday things that we know can't be measured very well in the laboratory uh, you can't go into a laboratory to determine just exactly how much you love somebody in your life. But that doesn't mean love doesn't exist. And there, there are some other examples like that from the human experience where central aspects of the human experience and emotion aren't things that we can test or prove. But that certainly doesn't mean that they aren't sometimes the most important things in our lives. And and I think experiences of the supernatural or super normal if you will fall into that category
0: i like that notion about like how you can prove that you love someone because you really can't i mean it's something that you can like map out
1: right and i mean we know that for instance there are brain chemicals involved but there's no way to demonstrate that the brain chemicals come before the emotion and not the other way around we just don't know that much about the brain there's so much more about the brain that we don't know than the, than there is that we do in fact and most neuroscientists and people in that field will admit that so i think that it's also possible that there are aspects for instance of time that we don't understand you know there's certainly i was a physics major in college for a while and there are certainly there are certainly theoretical physics theories that suggest that time is not linear at all we experience it that way but that doesn't mean that it it exists objectively that way by itself and in that framework there's nothing to say that insights from the future can't somehow come to the past and vice versa because there's no such thing as past present future at the theoretical physics level at least that's the sort of thing I tell myself when I'm making the arguments with myself about whether whether things like my experience are legitimate or wishful thinking.
0: What compelled you to share this story?
1: A couple of things, really. I initially started writing it mostly because I wanted to lay out my experiences for myself to try to get a handle on them and understand as a writer Writing is how I understand life and make sense of things. And so some of, a, some of that was for me to try to understand what I had been through and use that as a tool to work through my emotions and my grief. Part of it was that I wanted to write it for Tony <laughs> because since I hadn't been successful in telling him about this secret, there was something in me that kind of wanted to feel like if there was a way through writing down these words to share with him, I knew you were going to leave and it's kind of okay because I was warned, then then the book sort of served that purpose for me too. But maybe foremost and most important, as the book is in the world now, is that I want to make it more okay for people to talk about grief and loss and to talk about experiences that are hard to explain and and see that there are other people who are sort of willing to stick their necks out there and talk about this stuff. Because one of the things I experienced, I've been lucky not to have a ton of loss in my life before now. And I didn't realize just how really terrible our society is at dealing with grief and loss and talking about it and how we treat people who are feeling those feelings. And so I, I think we've come a long way in even just the last five years, but I think we also have a long way to go. And so I would like this book to be a part of that conversation.
0: Uh, Speaking of dealing with grief and loss, I'm curious as to how you dealt with uh, Tony's passing, especially given that you had had this very strong feeling that it was going to happen pretty soon.
1: Oh, I fell apart. Um, I think, you know, I don't know if you've lost someone very close, but there's a pretty long period of shock where it's really difficult to kind of grasp the idea of how long forever is and that this is a final and permanent kind of thing. I did pretty well through about the first nine months, and then I started realizing what this meant for my life and how many ch- things were changing for me. And then I did sort of start falling apart. <laughs> and that's partly when I started writing the book then, because I kept telling myself, this shouldn't be easier since I had this warning and it wasn't. It didn't make it any easier. Um, so I went through some pretty dark times. and frankly, I still feel that way not infrequently. But I finally came to the conclusion, and as this is sort of detailed in the book, I finally came to the conclusion that I sort of have to put my money where my mouth is. I do think that the premonition was authentic. And that also means that if I'm if I'm going to have some kind of faith in a greater reality, and faith in a fate that sort of said, I could have Tony for a while, but that this some this future loss of him was predestined in some way Then I have to also accept the idea that I am still here. <laughs> I am still here for a reason and I'm supposed to be, and I, I better make the best of that. So that's kind of a long answer to your question, but that's sort of the journey.
0: I feel like when it comes to loss, you couldn't see it coming a mile away. It doesn't make it any easier. It can happen immediately. It can be, you, oh, we, we, we knew like six months in advance. It doesn't make it any easier because gone is gone.
1: Right. Uh, and people you know, who have lost someone after a, a long illness or whatever, whether it's sudden or protracted, I think it's hard either way. It's different. And I think one of the things that's interesting about grief is that grief is sort of like fingerprints. We all have them, but they're all a little bit different and they're all very specific to us and our situations and our relationships. So, yes.
0: I'd like to talk about um, managing grief because obviously when when someone passes away, someone who's very close to us, you don't get over that. You don't, you you know, you don't move on. It's something that you learn to carry with you. And as Mm -hmm. time passes, the weight gets a little, a little bit lighter. I'm curious as to if there's anything that kind of helped you to carry on with Tony's loss.
1: Um, A couple of things have helped me. One, I'm not only a writer, but I dabble in lots of creative activities of one sort or another. And I I went through a phase where I was <laughs> doing all kinds of different creativity things because that was one of the places that I could turn to sort of for some solace and for an escape from the grief. And that was everything from making a huge quilt out of some of his clothing to... I don't know, stringing beads, I make felt, I do lots of fiber arts, all kinds of things. None of those things are an ultimate answer, but they all do sort of help. So I definitely think creativity and creative pursuits, however you define that, is a really important way. The other thing that's been helpful for me, and I don't know if it will work for everyone, but is that we talk about continuing relationship with the person even though they're not exactly here and for some people that means talking out loud to their lost loved one and I do some of that but more so I do things on my own that I would be doing with him and that ranges from I did some electrical work on our house that I know he would have taken care of and I'm kind of afraid of electricity but I felt like I owed it to him to do that work Uh, For a variety of reasons, and felt like he was sort of in the back of my head coaching me through it as I did it. Um, On the other end of the spectrum, I not long ago went back to Hawaii for the first time since Tony's death. And that was hard to go by myself, but it was also really, really rewarding. And I did feel like lots of things happened that made me think this is the universe where Tony's showing its approval of this trip. And I thought of it as. As a gift, I was giving him rather than a gift he was giving me because I know that's what he would want. So that's—I. Th- those are, I think, examples of how a continued relationship can happen even though they're not physically around.
0: Did the book help you with regards to either coming to terms with the grief or just kind of moving ahead?
1: Um, I think it did. It really helped me process some of those emotions. It allowed me to relive some of the positive emotions and experiences that we had and sort of remind myself of my gratitude for our relationship. And it, this is going to sound a little crazy, but having it published helped me feel like I had something physical that could never begin to fill the hole that he filled, you know, the hole that was, that was left in the universe for me when he left. But it was a little piece of something that could fill that hole.
0: I'm curious about any reactions from um, family or friends that knew Tony once the book was published.
1: Um, Of the people who have read it so far, because it only came out a few days ago, um, I've had really positive responses, including from a couple of his siblings. And when I gave them the book, one of the things I said was, "I, I hope that this would give them some views of Tony that they wouldn't otherwise have had. And a number of people have said that that was the case, that they really appreciated that insight. I also have some friends who have said things like, you know, I feel like I know him even though I never met him. And it's really rewarding for me to have people say things like that because that was one of my objectives was to to share him a little bit with the world because I thought he was pretty special.
0: He sounds special. He really does. You are, of course, no stranger to the world of books. You have published uh, more than a dozen nonfiction titles for adults, five novels for young readers, and two picture books. Wow. That's a heck of a resume there.
1: Well, I'm old. you know? <laughs> There's been plenty of time for it. <laughs> and my my day job is writing. So most of the nonfiction books have been a function of my day job as opposed to me writing away in my garret. Fair
0: enough. Fair enough. Um, but was this book uniquely challenging, given that it is sort of, it's a very different topic than what you normally write about?
1: Definitely uniquely challenging. I mean, first of all, it was uh, more difficult emotionally. You know, there's the old saw about writers who just sort of open a vein and bleed onto the page or whatever. But that's more true than average for nonfiction that is memoir than it is for other things. But there were also little challenges, like how do I describe myself as a character in a book? It's one thing to have a fictional character that you have to figure out how to introduce to the reader. It feels a little bit different for that person, for that character to be you. What are you going to say about you as you introduce the essence of this character to a reader? So from small challenges to large challenges, it was definitely different from anything else I've written.
0: Were there any points in writing the book where you felt like you shouldn't share something because it was too personal or too private?
1: There were a couple of things that I hesitated over. But, you know, as part of my campaign for people to talk honestly about things like this and some of the topics in the book, I felt like I had to live up to that myself. And I'm also at the point where um, I think I have. A perspective based largely on this big loss—that honesty is what's important—and I don't really care that there are some people who might react negatively to the book, and there are some people who might react negatively to me. And I think that's okay. Um, none of us needs to have a fan club that includes everyone in the world. And I think the world would be a better place if more of us were honest and authentic and not quite as protective of ourselves as we sometimes are. So those were the things that made me make the decision to just be utterly honest.
0: What would you say are some of the problems with talking honestly, like the things that keeps people from talking honestly?
1: I think a lot of us are more concerned about what the people who know us might think or are related to us might think than we are about strangers reading this sort of thing. I do think there were possibly one or two people in my family who, while they did not advise me not to do this because they probably know I wouldn't have listened anyway, but who <laughs> wondered if this was a good idea for various reasons. I think people are just scared of rejection and of being vulnerable. But, you know, I'm a brain brown fan. I think I think vulnerability is sort of what we share as human beings and we might as well be honest about it.
0: Was this your first time working with the folks over at She Writes Press?
1: Yes, it was. Oh, cool. I had, well, yes and no. <laughs> I, I had actually um, had some interaction with them mostly through the website that they ran for a number of years. It was just a, a She Writes website and they had articles for women writers and, They had contests and stuff like that. I was involved in a contest that they had once and had read their stuff. So the team of people behind She Writes Press and their website, I had experience with. This is the first time I worked with them since they became a press and began publishing.
0: You know, given the number of books you've written, I'm really curious about this. How do you know when a company is good to work with?
1: It can be a challenge. I mean, publishing is a big industry, and it's changed a lot over the course of my career. At this point, there are not that many big, traditional New York, well-known publishers left. Most of them have merged and bought each other up, so there are lots of different imprints, but most of them are owned by four or five companies. And there are also small presses everywhere, some of which are perfectly legitimate and have wonderful books and strong reputations. And some of which are little more than scams going after the money of people who would like to publish a book but don't really know that much about the industry. Um, Because I knew some of the individuals involved in SheWrite Press, I wasn't concerned about that. Um, But like any writer ought to, I did my homework and talked to people who had been published by them to make sure that they'd had a good experience. And I looked at their products to see that the products were good. All of that sort of due diligence that any author can do about a publisher, they just have to be willing to take the time and do a little research.
0: How do you know if a company's a scam? What are some of like the warning signs out there?
1: I think the biggest warning signs are publishers or they're almost so-called publishers who approach writers as opposed to the other way around. Uh, those who approach writers are almost always uh, what used to be known, as vanity presses, and now we're often called self-publishing support companies and that sort of thing. Um, If they're approaching you, there's probably something wrong. Often, one of the criteria is, are they asking you to pay them, or are they paying you for that story? And this used to be pretty clear-cut. If they asked you to be paying them anything, they probably weren't legitimate But in the last about six or eight years, there have been a number of companies who sort of split the difference and ask authors to pay for some of the upfront costs while they handle things like distribution, cover design, and some of those sorts of costs. And She Writes Press actually falls into this category. They're usually known as hybrid presses. So that the risk of publication is split between the author and the publisher, and therefore, the way the royalties work is also different than in traditional publishing. And there are increasingly hybrid presses or digital first presses that split that difference and can be completely legitimate, but that may be asking for some funds from the author too.
0: Do you feel like that there's this like individual takeaway for this book, or is it the kind of thing where it varies on the reader?
1: Um, I think it will vary a little bit on the reader, but – The main takeaways that I would like a reader to get from it are, number one, it's okay to suffer loss and feel bad about it. and You don't have to listen to anyone else's time frame for when you're supposed to be getting over it or moving on or being more cheerful or whatever. It's okay to feel your feelings, whatever they are, for as long as it takes. And the second is, it's also okay to talk about things that might be hard to talk about and we should do it anyway and stop being so afraid of people's reactions.
0: I like that. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And for the folks at home, you can go to dot com For more information, to get your copy of this book, available a little while ago through She Writes Press. Make that interaction, like the post, share the stuff, write reviews, leave reviews. Anything, all the interaction, it helps a great deal. Definitely looking forward to the next time for the next book.
1: Thank you, Max. I appreciate it. The book is available anywhere books are normally sold, and I'd love to connect with anyone who reads it and would like to talk about it.
0: Picture this. You finished your first book and nailed it. The plot, the characters, all the twists and turns. This one's a winner, and all you need is the right cover. If you've got my art skills, this is the part where panic usually sets in. Enter the cover villain. Hero to writers everywhere. Founded by noted author Remy Flagg, Cover Villain focuses on composite image covers for science fiction and fantasy writers. Give them the details, and they'll craft a cover using popular trends that everyone will want to see. But wait, you say, I've got ideas of my own. No problem, as Cover Villain loves a good collaboration. As they say, our goal is to put a little villain in every cover we make. Want to know more? Then head to CoverVillain.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. In just a little bit, I'll be talking to the Americana band June Star as we dive into their new album, How We See It Now, their 17th release to date. Band members Andrew Grimm and Dave Hadley talk about the new directions they went in with this one and the folks they worked with. Junestar is part of a really cool show in Boston happening June 28th, but they also have more than 50 shows planned for the summer. We look at some other stops, favorite places to play, and how they handle such a busy schedule. I am talking with the Americana band Star, which has released 17 albums, you heard me right, 17, toward a solid chunk of the U.S. since it was formed in 1998, which means 24 years of music, folks. Band members Andrew Grimm and Dave Hadley join me. Guys, welcome to the show. It is so cool to have you here.
2: Oh, thank you very much, Max. We're, we're excited to be anywhere, yeah, but you. especially here. We're, Ex- we're excited.
0: Nice, nice. And speaking of wares, you guys are going to be in my neck of the woods pretty soon, Tuesday, June 28th, at the Midway Cafe in Jamaica Plains. Guys, if you haven't been there, it's one of my favorite venues. Along with June Star, you're going to see the Basement Cats, Jean Paul, Jean Paul, and Big Rav. It's a 21 plus show. $10 cover. Music starts at 7 30. So do not miss this one. And uh I really wish I could be there for the show because this uh sounds like an absolutely amazing night. So but question for you guys. Um, when's the last time you were in the Boston area?
2: Ooh boy, that would have been <laughs> years ago. Uh probably five years ago, we played O'Brien's. Um that Dave and I were there in 2010. Stars and Plows. Stars and Plows. played Stars mind. and Plows. That's the only one that comes to mind. Yeah, but five years ago we were in Austin at O'Brien's. Um, it was a different tour. I don't think I don't think you were on that one, Dave. Right. But yeah, we played a, a show with our good friend Matt Charette, who Matt Charette in the Truer Sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh Jim Healy, who I, I can't remember. Sorry, Jim, I can't remember who you who, the name of your band, but you were really <laughs> nice. Um, and he was a really cool, dude. Um yeah, that was the last time we were there, and it was fun because we'd never been there before. I don't think we've ever played the same place twice in Boston except for I've played um, Club Passim a couple times, uh, their their campfire thing, and then there was a one-off show I was able to do, too.
0: Yeah, uh, Club Passim, I think, is one of my like favorite venues in Boston. It's a very like small place, but they do some absolutely amazing shows over there yeah and, it's really nice, yeah. yeah, yeah. and of course, um O'Brien's, they're really cool right in Austin. but they have been some like amazing shows over the years. And uh, of course, uh, star and Plow, which is like a really, really cool place too. all still around as far as I know, yeah. actually,
2: yeah, it's been there forever. I mean, I remember when I first started getting in, like back in ninety eight seeing people going to to Stars and Plow and stuff like that and playing there. like because not that I would get it from the internet, but i would I would remember seeing people's tour posters. And they would be they would be there. And I was like, oh, that must be the place to go. That and like the Middle East. And was it TT the Bears? Yeah. That yeah. That's, that's actually it's, gone it's now,
0: though. Yeah. That became uh, Sonia. And I think that the guys who run the Middle East own it now. So you have these two mm-hmm. really good venues, like just side by side. Right on. Right on. Yeah. We fortunately we, we actually did lose one venue. I know uh, two. Uh, the Milky Way and uh, Great Scott. Um oh yeah great scott yeah yeah dabbleys was absolutely amazing I, I went to so many shows comedy shows too over the years mm-hmm. and that unfortunately did not survive covid but they 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 are looking to come back they i think they have the money set aside and now they're trying right. to find a location which is always a tricky thing to do
2: sure but you know i think re- reputation is half of the the battle i mean if you have the if you have the rep for for putting on great shows and being a great venue it's like yeah people want you to come back Oh yeah, <laughs> you know? definitely, definitely. So, now things have loosened up.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so how did this show come together?
2: Well, we Dave and I had uh booked the tour w- before COVID started. It was we were supposed to go out on the road in 2020 and uh it was the first time we were working with a booking agent and then all that got canceled um when the lockdown happened um and then a year and a half later i didn't even talk to the booking agent after that i was kind of like oh, i was so depressed i was like you know canceled everything it and was 2020 yeah it was 2020 <laughs> it was like it was, it was the year of it was forgetting like it was, a road bump <laughs> right, right? it's a year of oblivion um two years of oblivion and yeah when things started to clear up i i called dave and said do you want to do another tour or do you want to try to do another tour and he said yeah so I contacted the booking agent and he was excited to work with us um because I think you know it's part of his livelihood <laughs> It's when somebody's calling and offering to hire someone it's like yeah you don't say no anymore and so he was the one who who got us uh, the 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 Midway Cafe show um he's really diligent about that stuff and um I got to say Midway Cafe has been really really pleasant to work with and really positive and you know, I get these really nice updates from them. Like, hey, it's going to be a great show. We're really looking forward to it, and we filled out the bill, and here's the bill, and here's everyone's links, and so, so we're looking forward to it. I mean, we've never, I've never been to Jamaica Plain, so,
0: so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you're gonna like it, man. And actually, um, I was, I was, um, checking out the band's website and like touring. You guys have, and I actually, counted this 55 shows happening this summer um, mm-hmm. from like this point yeah. on. Yeah. That's right. an aggressive tour schedule. Do you like usually do that stuff? No, <laughs> we we sort of did once before yeah. years ago, but yeah, during a
2: previous previous wife experience, I had. We were going to do it in 2020, but right, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, the the booking agent is, and once again, he's just you know we contract him to book uh, 76 shows or 65 shows or whatever, and he fills almost all the dates. Um, and we we just added in the past 24 hours, we added three more dates. Uh, to our calendar and then we're we're back we're, we're out from June 25th to September 4th and we're back for September and then we're back out from October 5th to December 5th damn and um, <laughs> yeah and it's 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 crazy like we and it's, it's a bit of a gamble because we don't know how it's going to go but we're you know we're I have somebody staying at my house to look after my cats so <laughs> like my, my my bases are covered <laughs>
0: <Yep>. <laughs> you know? important stuff cats looked after
2: Yep, that's that's the number one priority. Let's make sure those those guys are okay.
0: Exactly. You know, you could always like take them with you, have them work out of the merch table. Ooh, you know, uh, well, mouse,
2: mouse might be effective with that, but Ma is my other cat. She's 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 kind of a bouncer. Oh, geez. She's kind of she's kind of an enforcer. <laughs> okay. She doesn't back down, and and when you do her wrong, you have you you have. Um, you have done her wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> well, so... Yeah, yeah. There's payment with claws and fangs. <laughs> but, yeah. Such is life.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so doing this many shows over the summer, how do you, like, keep yourselves going? Especially, like, knowing, okay, we're, like, on the road, playing in a place, on the road, playing in a place for, like, three months straight. Um, I,
2: I think the motivation really is um, we're doing it. It's the music, yeah. Yeah, I we, we we get the chance and the like the people that we meet, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, that's it. Well, a lot of a lot of what we see about who people are in America is through a particular lens. Uh, from and I'm I'm not a big like media is evil. I'm just saying like what we get is what we see or hear on a podcast or on a radio show or a television or a YouTube clip or Instagram or God forbid TikTok. Um, and these days, from what you choose, right? Yeah. And here we're we're going to be More going so. to places where we're actually going to see people, you know, IRL. You know, it's it's real life, and and part of my motivation for this tour, my personal motivation, is just like I I need to get out and see people to to prove everything that I've heard to be to be wrong about, like you know, well, most people in America are really nice. Yeah, <laughs> most most people in America are really kind and warm and giving, and like you know, they're not you know gonna storm whatever or hurt people or things like that. So, so I'm looking forward to that. And the other thing that really kind of motivates me is also, you know, it's uh, I just turned 50 last year and we've never really gone out this extensively. And so I'm looking at that, the backside of that hourglass has been flipped and it's like, well, I don't know how much time I have to really go do these things. Uh, I mean, I'm not dying tomorrow, but you know, I'm not 22. (laughs) So so that, that, that kind of push of time is what's kind of also motivating me to get out there. Yeah. And, and of course, and of course the, the classic answer now is like, well, yeah, we just survived two years of a traumatic pandemic. Like, yeah, let's, let's get out and live. Yeah, Cause that's it's proof of life. I think.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Although I would say that that uh, that actually doing a tour in like your 40s or 50s is probably the better time to do it because, like, yeah, you may not be as young, but you're also not gonna like party it up and go and like go crazy and like the next day you're so hungover you can't perform. <laughs> it, it better sustainability. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, is, that is accurate.
2: Like, you know, I mean, you know, touring and touring in your 50s is gonna be like, yeah, oh yeah, man, oh man, I did so much ibuprofen yesterday. It was was hot, man. Whoa, you know, or it's like, you know, you're you're stretching for 15 minutes before you actually move or do anything, and well, and we're gonna be we're gonna be working like it's after the show because we're on the level that we're on. We don't have a huge PR group behind us or anything like that. So we have we have several projects that we're we're doing simultaneously. So we get done playing the show, man. The merch table, talk to some folks, hang out, maybe have a beer. But then after that, you know. I know that I have at least another three or four more hours of work I have to do yeah. uh, after the show and we're recording almost all the shows. And so I'm editing those and um, we're going to do a, a post-show podcast and try to do that like immediately after the show, like when we settle down or whatever safe space we're in. <laughs> um, and then there's, there's a, I'm developing a kind of a travel log book to go along with all this stuff too. So it's, you know, it's, I guess it would be, more fun if we were partying all the time now that i'm thinking about it now that i just said all those yeah. things but, <laughs> but that doesn't make it happen but that does not make it happen <laughs> so, yeah no, I mean, no, no. exactly
0: and i think uh, especially like these days you really need to like branch out you really need to say okay mm-hmm. we're gonna do the videos and the podcast and this and the that yeah it's so much yeah
2: happen. yeah diversifying all the all the you know outreach to people or you know, ways to to generate enough income in order to keep it going. And you know, there's a whole that's a whole kind of side of it.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right. So uh question for the both of you. Any um any spots on the tour which are old favorites for you?
2: Hmm. Dave, I'm gonna let you feel right. this first. Are better, better what? Favorites. Old oh. favorites. Like old you're looking forward <laughs> to going back to I know mine. I got I got mine down. Old favorites. Well my old favorite is the purple fiddle. Mm-hmm. In Thomas, West Virginia, yeah, and we're there. I think multiple times. We're multiple, so, yeah. We're yeah. there. We're there in the summer, and then we have and a three-day stand After Thanksgiving, fall. come on out there. It's gonna be beautiful. Yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate because that was my favorite too. But let me let me think of a second <laughs> favorite real quick. Because, well, I, we're 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 doing a house concert um, in Montclair, New Jersey. Uh, is some friends who are real big music fans and aficionados and their house concert is always, it always is always fantastic. So I'm really looking forward to, to playing that. Um, And that's the the other cool thing about this tour is we're playing almost, I would say 95% of the shows we're playing are places we've never been before. Like we've never played those venues. Yeah. So it's, so it's pretty cool. So, so new, new things to be, New expectations to either be dashed or, or really impressed by. Okay. And,
0: now the big question is who does the driving? <laughs>
2: yes. Yeah. Both of us. <laughs> yeah, we, we both do it. We, um, this, this tour, um, this tour is really special because Dave and I are, are splitting a lot of the costs as well. And there was a, a long time. In fact, I would 22, maybe 21 years out of the, 24 year existence of june star i really kind of bankrolled everything and, and was able to do that um I, I taught high school for 20 years and so i had that income on the side um i had that really big public school teacher money um <laughs> you know it's like i wake up every day and i'm like which ferrari and i'm gonna drive to school i don't know you know as like, i have my condor egg omelet
0: yeah
2: uh-huh. um so, but but this time we're we're kind of splitting everything, and so we decided. And so I w- I would drive a lot uh, in the previous tours, Um, but Dave. I mean, if I ever asked Dave to, to drive, he would. But this year we're splitting it up every 200 miles um, to switch up drivers. That seems like the most kind of it's a safety thing too. You know, yeah.
0: just easy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now, Dave, yeah. I was wondering how how long you've been with June Star since 2009. Wow, no oh. kidding. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah.
2: You see, he still doesn't know the name of songs. No, uh, I'm bad with names. <laughs> <laughs> Where <well>, are you? <laughs> Where am I? What's this place? Exactly. <laughs> What's Sounds going like a on? Song? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There why, you go. Why am
0: I, why am I doing here? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I asked that question because, uh, because obviously you guys are like old hat with uh, Torn together. And from what I, I hear tell bands on tour they either like love each other at the end of it or it's just like knives drawn never want to see you again get the hell out of here <laughs> right right
2: well and and the thing about that is like uh when dave and i started touring together in 2011 was our first tour together um i realized within the first it'd be two days. I was like, Oh, you know, we're, we're almost exactly the same person in certain regards. I'm utilitarian. I just get what needs to be done, done, done. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And, and a lot of that is like, you know, you, if you have to wake up at a stupid hour in the morning, like four 30 in the morning, you get to drive somewhere. And, and that was like the first tour we did. I remember telling Dave, I was like, yeah, we got to get up at four 30. And I was like, you know, I didn't know how that was going to go down. And four 30 came around and I was I was lying on the floor and I said, good morning, Dave. And Dave's good morning, Andrew. I was like, okay, you good? Yeah. All right. Let's get some coffee. Okay. All right. Great. And we're so like traveling together, you know, I'm, I've become really easy to get along with on the road. And also like, I, I understand the value of the person riding next to me. Like Dave, Dave is a, he's, he's a good friend, but he's also a very valuable and expressive and creative artist um and he's playing he's playing an instrument that i have no idea how he does it and (laughs) you know yeah there's a certain (laughs) there's a certain alchemy to the pedal steel you know it has pedals it has knee levers it has volume pedals and (laughs) who know and it's got 10 strings and they're all tuned differently and they're weird and you know they jump out at you they jump out at you so (laughs) so and you know that's you know for me it's like yeah well i want to play music with dave hadley as long as i possibly can so know. so so i try to i treat him with respect all right (laughs) and
0: he he tolerates me
2: yeah <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well that's
0: important too that's important too yeah. alright well uh, for this episode guys we got something really special here because the guys got their gear all set up we're going to do some music for you and this is uh, this going to be totally live and uh, gentlemen I will let you take it away
2: awesome thank you so much Mhm. How I rise, getting to know you. I'm on hill to toe, hoping I don't shake loose. And I'm not afraid of the fall with the lights in my eyes. I can't see my next move And there's ways to go Only one way I'm not afraid of the fall I'm looking for you And now the crowd is a blur I'll be seeing you soon I'm not afraid of the fall It's a part of somebody's plan
1: I'm not afraid
2: of the fall I'm afraid of where I'll land of the fall I'm... Very good
0: stuff, guys. Very, very good stuff. Thanks. Oh man. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. And of course, reminder, folks: this is uh, Tuesday, June twenty eighth, Midway Cafe in Jamaica Plain. Ten dollar cover. Twenty one plus. Doors open at seven thirty. You got Basement Cats, Jean Paul, Jean Paul, Big Rev, and of course, June Star. Get your asses down there. It's going to be an an absolutely amazing show. But also, the big news: uh, you guys have a recently released album out called how we see it now this is your 17th album holy crap
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep we, we just don't know when to quit <laughs> we just just keep going you know um yeah i just don't see any reason to not release records you know and if you have time to do it like we recorded it during covid i had written most of the songs previous but you know after that first year it was like well let's just let's just make a record I mean, you know, yeah. Why not create? What else is there to do? Yeah, sit around. And, <laughs> I mean, there's sitting around, drink beer, and watching Netflix. But
1: might know. as well create.
2: But yeah, <laughs> creating <laughs> is a little bit more. Yes, yeah, I mean, you know, sit we'll around healthier.
0: drinking beer, watch Netflix is okay, I suppose, but yeah. uh, there's but, a know, line.
2: Yeah, and there's you know, it goes back to interacting with people. You know, we we get to be in a studio together, and then we get to to make something and something that we're all proud
0: of and we like and, yeah. you know, yeah, stand by our work. Yeah. So. There you go. There you go. And, and I gotta say the album is absolutely amazing. I'm a huge, like um I'm a huge Americana fan because it is so big here in Boston. Um, right. In fact, we actually used to have something for, I think like four years called the new England Americana festival. Uh, it was for like multiple days. You had like 30 or like 40 bands, but it was such a cool thing because you had bands from like, all over the place playing for like three days straight americana is definitely very very big in this area
2: oh there was uh somebody who in, in the boston area just recently and they weren't necessarily americana i take it all back uh i was i was thinking of boston bands that i love um but the mysteries of life i guess they were the blake babies are part of that i think as mm-hmm. well at some point so um yeah i mean boston's got a real rich history of of great music oh yeah so,
0: definitely, definitely yeah.
2: And yeah. your football team is pretty good, right? Eh, they're it's, okay, you know? Okay. Yeah. They have, like, the good years and bad. Right. let go Pats, right? I want to make go. sure I got that right for you. There me. you go. Go Pats. As soon as I get on stage. I said, because, you know, in Baltimore, I don't know if we have a rivalry with, with the Patriots, but uh, a very close friend of mine is from Boston. He's, and he lives down the street. And he's, he's you know, constantly harassed uh, about his about his Patriots gear and stuff like that. And I, I don't know, man. I'm always... I'm always like happy that you guys have a team. Exactly. You know, when, we, when we play Pittsburgh, there's this, I I tell the crowd we're from Baltimore and there's some people who give us like, you know, oh, those guys. I'm like, oh, no, no, hear me out. Hear me <laughs> out. You know, you guys have those Steelers, right? You guys sell the Steelers, right? Well, you know, they're. I'm glad you guys have a team. It's good to have something you can root for. Exactly. You know, and I don't care if like, I really don't care if the Steelers come to Baltimore and and beat us I don't care it's like because we have a team I remember when the Colts left yeah (laughs) when Bob when Bob Ursae moved them out in Mayflower trucks in the middle of a blizzard and how how bad we all felt so (laughs) I don't care if we have a losing record it's just like oh I got a team let's enjoy it exactly
0: exactly no need to get angry yeah (laughs) although I will say Philly fans are some of the most intense fans out there
2: they, they love are. they really love their team. Yeah, I
0: I yeah. was actually in Philly when I think it was the Eagles won uh the state title. Oh wow. And oh my god, you saw just a flood <laughs> of humanity all over the place. It was insanity. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, exactly.
2: When, when uh when uh, the when the Ravens won the Super Bowl, uh, I guess it was 2013. Right. Uh, Dave and I were flying in from San, San Francisco. Francisco. <laughs> and uh, we were listening to the game, and and uh, at the time I was living in Baltimore City, and and Dave was in Baltimore. You were in Baltimore, too I think I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we kind we were like, oh, please, just we're waiting for our our Uber or the bus to get the shuttle to get the car so we can drive. And I was like, oh, just kind of please delay, please time out, please time out because we it looked like the the that the Ravens were going to win, and I just didn't want to have to drive in the Baltimore streets at that point. It was the were, only way. It was the only way we were gonna get home. <laughs> and it's like, you know, just as we were rounding the corner to my neighborhood, people were starting to spill out of the bars. And it, at one point it was like, that's right, guys, we're home. We're home from our, our <laughs> show in San Francisco. Thank you so much. You know, I, like, everyone, moment, thank my parents. Yeah, exactly. Hey
0: everyone, June stars back. We had a great show. A lot of you guys are turning out, appreciate that. So that's what happens.
2: Fireworks. Yeah, we're returning heroes. You know? Exactly. They're, they're excited to see us. But we were able to, like, we just were able to just kind of creep through everybody. And was like, Shoot, thank oh, God. So
0: Very damn. carefully. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. All right. Uh, just going back a bit to the new album, though. Um, yes. What uh, new directions do, uh, would you say you went in for this one?
2: uh collaborative mm-hmm. um because usually because i mean I, I started the band in 98 and so i've pretty much so mostly called the shots on 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 everything good or bad um i think the last like out of the 17 records probably the last 10 11 records i'm re- i really like a lot the, the older ones I, I i don't even listen to them anymore because good lord what was i thinking um but this one we spent a lot of we 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 were playing with a drummer we had never played with before. Um, The person we had scheduled uh, didn't want to record during COVID. It was, there was just a lot of input from, from everybody. And I just kind of was just let it go. I was like, I'm going to let go to the process and just, you know, I'm just going to go limp over here (laughs) and let everybody else make decisions. Um, And it turned out to be a a good idea because I think the record is, it's, uh, one of my favorite June Star records. I think the performances on there are really great. I think the production is really great. Uh, we got some help from Bunky Hunt, who owns the label that we put it out on. He co-produced. Um, and Jay Robbins from Jawbox uh, was our engineer, uh, and we recorded his studio. And uh, he's invaluable. But um, but really just letting other people make decisions was, to me, was like, oh, this is what I've been missing all these years. <laughs> Maybe if I had done this earlier,
0: (laughs) the (laughs) records would have been better, I guess. Yeah, what if? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. All right, folks. Well, uh, we are coming down to the end of the segment, but uh, before we go, can we do uh, one more song, please? Sure, absolutely. All right, all right.
2: to satisfy you see it gets so lonely when you wait this long losing count of the signals you send i am I don't know where to begin Sitting the right there
0: All right, all right, guys. That was absolutely phenomenal. Amazing stuff. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, folks. Well, we are now at the close. I'm sorry to say, but it's got to happen eventually. Uh, I want to give it, uh, give a big thanks to Andrew Grimm, Dave Hadley of June Star. Thank you guys so much uh, for joining me. And one more time, Tuesday, June twenty eighth, Midway Cafe, Jamaica Plain, Basin Cats, Jean Paul, Jean Paul, Big Rav, June Star. Doors at seven thirty. 21 plus, $10 cover. Get your asses over there. You will not be disappointed. And, of course, guys, go to Junestar, J-U-N-E-Star.com for more information, buy the music, follow their socials, all the stuff I am always saying. The engagement is always crucial. And, guys, thanks again, and hopefully we can do this again very, very soon.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Max. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, guys, what's going on? This is Brian Murphy from One Time Mountain, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout with Max Bowen.
0: Rock on! Okay, everyone, that brings this episode to a close. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get a me at citywidemax at yahoo.com, check out the show wherever you find podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10pm on Boston Free Radio. As always, keep those ears open.